Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, we're talking the lottery, news, and all things Halloween on 321 Go, and we have a special two minutes with Tom this week, because it's more like 20 minutes with Tom after he sat down with Congressman Jim McGovern. They had a great discussion about upcoming elections, Congress, and what's at stake. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, where each week we take a brief but purposeful look at three compelling topics in the world of public affairs, business, government, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, it's our final episode before Halloween 2018, so we'll talk about things, people, places, shows, and movies that really scare the heck out of us. And what would you do with a billion dollar lottery prize? And no, we don't mean your money fantasies like retiring immediately to Paris or buying your own island. We're talking about what the heck would you actually do if you had to deal with such a life-altering event. Finally, the targets in a series of alleged mail bombing attacks are very similar to the targets of a certain president's constant rhetoric. We'll discuss the connection, if any, and what Americans think about it. Joining me here on 321 Go is Diane Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Diane, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? It's Halloween week. It is. I'm kicking it off. Trunk or treat tonight. What's trunk or treat? Trick or treating from decorated car to decorated car in the school parking lot. Sounds very safe. It is. All right. The Excellent. cars aren't running. <laughs> the cars aren't. Okay. That's not what I meant, but there you go. Uh, all right. Let's get to it. All right, Cayenne, it's Halloween season. Halloween's for kids. It's a fun uh, holiday. My kids still like it. Um, I bet your son still loves it. He's young enough to love Halloween, right? He is five. He is all excited. Yeah. Now, it, it, it He's is, actually it, mapped out he his costumes for like the next five years. Yeah, oh, it's beautiful. It's not, nothing like a, a kid on Halloween being excited about his costume. But it, it, you know, it, it is that time of year where we like to be scared. And, uh, and uh, it just so happens the... Um, uh, the remake of the iconic film Halloween, not the remake, I'm sorry, the the skipping over sequel of Halloween is coming out, so that's getting a lot of excitement. Maybe one of the scariest movies of all time. Got us thinking, right? What uh, what are the things that just, what are the things that immediately, immediate, like absolutely knock down, take it to the bank, are scary? No question about it. There's, 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 you will be scared by... This thing fill in the blank, you know? Kick that off. Creepy clowns and creepy dolls. Creepy clowns and dolls. Absolutely. Which, interestingly enough... I'm sorry. Supposed to be for children. Creepy... I mean, is creepy clown redundant? Uh, It it might be. Yeah, like, because really, clowns in general are just... I can't do it. It's it's the whole thing. It's a shame, because most clowns, I think, exist to bring joy. They do. Yet they bring terror. Yes. Yeah. I think... um, I think an older woman, an elderly woman in a nightgown up in a window in a dark, abandoned home is really scary. Like maybe with a candle in the background I'm not say, or I'm something not saying, flickering. I'm not saying that our beloved senior citizens are frightening, but in the, in the wrong context, you know, Norman Bates' mother or whatever, you know. Yes. Where's my tea? You know, yep. that, that's a scary I gotcha. thing. 
No, I don't disagree. Yeah. But that's not like that's not the first thing I go to. Power tools don't scare me. I, like slasher film stuff, it's just kind of you over, jump. It's, it's too candy. and then it's over. It's cheap. I'm not afraid of a guy with a with a drill or a chainsaw because he's he's probably a, a, a yeah. He's probably going to do something bad, and you kind of know that that's coming. What I find more scary is like the the slow and steady, like creepy scary. Yeah. What's that um, recent movie that came out and they can't talk? Something about silence. It'll come to me. Yeah. But um, I watched like a trailer for that. Brooke is telling me what it is. What is it, Brooke? The Quiet Place. The Quiet Place. The very idea of that movie. Yeah. I I can't. I can't watch it. It's like it's slow, steady, under understated, scary. How about twin sisters dressed identically and like just sort of standing in a hallway with like with their heads like tilted? (laughs) Hello, come play with us. Boom. Terrifying. Yeah, and that's the come play with us. It's, yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of scary stuff. I think it, it really just depends on sort of like what your flavor is. Yeah. You know, some people find like the Saw slasher flick scary. I haven't seen a scary movie since college. Yeah. I mean, you know, Halloween for sure and the, and the, and the music really behind that, The Exorcist. Um, then there's like The Ring. The Remember Ring? The ring? Uh, uh, it's a whole different kind of scary. Incredibly frightening. Yeah. Those yep. are the ones that like get into my core. No, I I think you know my my uh, heavyweight champion, kind of a, a lesser known uh, historical figure, an urban legend, Edward Mordrake. Now, if you ever watched the show American Horror Story, he he was fictionalized there. Uh, it, it's it's basically an urban legend. He's supposed to be a turn of the century English gentleman. Um. Not con- not part of a con- not really conjoined twins, and, and quite frankly, when I think of conjoined twins, I, I usually think of sort of stories of triumph and, mm-hmm. and you know and and, yeah. and, and overcome. Th- this guy was was a, was allegedly born with an entirely separate face on the back of his head that 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 made noises and could like sort of laugh and 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 and, and cackle, but couldn't really speak. But it was a, it was a it was a completely other he- face on the back of his head, and, and it's an urban legend. But it was it was very very vividly portrayed in American Horror Story, the Freak Show episode, the Freak Show series of night of twenty fourteen. And I got to tell you, it's it it, it might have been one of the scariest things I ever experienced. That stuck with you. It, it really stuck with me, and 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 according to this legend, you know, more Edward Mortar, he, he wore this top hat to cover that face, but it was back there. Talking to him, it couldn't really talk, but it like it, it, he said that it would, it would whisper to him. He, they did that in Harry Potter. He begged a series of doctors to, to remove the thing, and they're like, "We're not touching that thing." You know, it's, it's the turn of the century. Sorry, buddy. Medical science is not there. <laughs> it's yet. not there. Yeah, no, you're on your own. And finally, allegedly at age 23, again, it's an urban legend. There's some sort of there's some fact based elements to this, but none of them that are provable. Uh, he he, he uh, committed suicide at age 23. Probably the most uh, least surprising thing. Uh, considering his circumstances, but that's worth a Google. Edward Mordrake, one of the scariest things you can imagine, living with sort of some you know, uh, this this presence in the back of your head who can like Meh, talk to you and stuff, and especially if it's making those noises, <laughs> keep you awake at night. That uh, that'll do it. Yeah. Oh, all right. I don't know if I want to Google that, but I will. All right, it's Halloween 2018. Those are some things that uh, that scare us.
All right, Cayenne, the multi-state Mega Millions jackpot grew to a record level, about $1.6 billion. As we speak, a winner has been, well, not identified, but designated. A winning number has been drawn in a tiny community in South Carolina. Apparently a couple of million-dollar winners here in Massachusetts. Um, Spoiler alert, I was not one of them. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I was holding out to see if maybe you, you were going to cash the winning ticket. It, it's kind of a cliche for conversations like this. Hey, what would you do if you won the lottery, right? But it, it got me thinking, not what would you do like, oh, you know, would you fly off to Paris? Would, would you, you quit your job? Island? Would you quit your job? Yeah. I mean, let's get down to it. What the heck would you do in terms of dealing with this? You know, I, I mean, It's I, a lot. I, I call, number one, I'm calling a lawyer. Uh, I'm calling a tax lawyer. Um, I'm, 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 I'm immediately plotting how I'm going to cash this prize or claim this with the least fanfare. Depending on where you are in South Carolina, I believe you, you can do that. You can be anonymous, which I, you know what? I'm telling you something. I'm seeking anonymity if I'm winning a billion dollars. Absolutely. I am absolutely going underground. hundred percent. So there's thing number one. We may never know. The South Carolina winner. We may never know who he or she is. Yeah, you know, good for them. So, you don't I mean, need friends and people that you haven't talked to for decades coming out of the woodwork. No, and, and it's just, uh, it, it creates so much attention. Um, so that's, that's kind of thing number one. Thing number two is probably, all right, I know that with that kind of a windfall, just tremendous expectations will just overwhelm you. Um, not just people who are like coming out of the woodwork, but just there's a, there's a societal expectation that if you're just you know Kyan Isaacson on uh, on Monday, and then on Tuesday you're Kyan Isaacson billionaire, <clears throat> you probably ought to do something with that money or with some of that money that uh, you got to do that, some good that furthers the human condition for the better, right? You got to do some good, yes. So how would you go about, you know, everyone has charities that they are partial to, but how would you go about making an impact without all of a sudden being like, wow, I, I was so worried about uh, uh, taking care of people that, I, that now I'm down, uh, you know, $200 million. <laughs> Which, darn. Um, you know, I think with $1.6 billion, that probably wouldn't be a problem. But I do. You know, you've got you've gotta to do this. You've got to set your kids up, right? But you don't want to set your kids up so hard that, like, they don't work hard in life. Like, there's a balance, right? Yeah. Um, then you've you got to find the things that make you feel good. Do you work? Do you go start volunteering your time instead of working? Do you just I, – I don't know. There's a lot of questions. After, first and foremost, I think you'd probably have to pick me up off the ground because I'm pretty sure I'd faint. And then I'd probably scream. And then I'd probably say, okay, we need a lawyer and a really good accountant. Yeah. Financial advisor. Yeah, all of those things. A team of lawyers, yeah. And and fortunately, you can pay for the team of lawyers. So you get really good lawyers, too. Um, And then, you know, I think you you can throw around a little bit of the money. But if you want to make, like, good, hard investments in some charities and organizations, I think you got to do the research and figure it out. I don't think I'd faint. In fact, I, I... I, I sort of judge how I would react to to something amazing based on how I react in the very rare occasion when I hit a long putt when I'm playing golf. A lot of guys jump Which around. Which is almost like hitting the lottery, I'm told. Exactly. A lot of guys jump around and shout and pump their fists. I just kind of clench my fist quietly and be like, and I go like, yeah. Like, I think I'd be like, go yeah. Cosmo. I would say, go Cosmo. <laughs> Billion dollars. 
I, I think that that's what I would do. I would not like lose control of myself in terms of excitement. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I never been in that position, but I think I would just kind of do the old forty foot putt. You know, clenched, I can quiet, see that. Fist thing. I would. I would also argue that winning the lottery will literally change your entire life. Yeah, yeah. The putt won't. The putt will not. No. <laughs> Maybe yeah. your day and your mood. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I would spend a lot of time controlling the st- controlling the narrative, controlling what other people have to say. But see, that's the beauty of being a, a PR person. To and saying, "Look, he's going to be quiet. All right, yeah. keep it keep it under wraps." All right. Yeah. But that's something. It's interesting you bring that up because that's how we think. Because this is, yeah. you know, we do PR and communications like, exactly. for a living. Um, that so many people wouldn't. They don't. They oh, they, no. they get um, they get, and this is actually they get really scared and intimidated by the press and by reporters yeah. and cameras, and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I would I'd like to say that other than being a lawyer or a financial advisor, I think that our career lends itself to Absolutely. one that would be beneficial. I'm incredibly fortunate. It's a wonderful day. I'm going to try and do what I can to help others. Now buzz off. Bye bye. All right. So a series of uh, potentially explosive devices have been sent this week to. A number of uh, prominent public officials, including two ex-presidents, um, and uh, people are already calling it the MAGA bomber, as in "Make America Great Again," um, because the targets have been the targets of President Trump's rhetoric. Um, Brooks got some more details for us on this really late-breaking story this uh, this this week. Yeah, so today, obviously, most of the bombs were found. So since last night, um, and today we should say is uh, Wednesday, the 24th, since last night, according to Deadline.com, packages addressed to Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Andrew Cuomo, and Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters were discovered. A pipe bomb was also found in the mailbox of George Soros on Monday, um, and the as well as CNN obviously got a package that was addressed to John Brennan, who is actually a commentator on NBC, not CNN. Um, There was also an evacuation at Debbie Wasserman Schultz's Florida office because all of the return addresses listed that as the return address. And the Eric Holder package actually had an incorrect address and was sent back to her office as the return address. So that's why her... Um, her office was also evacuated. Um, they are saying they're treating these all as live bombs. So bomb squads came in. They were removed in containment vehicles to various off-site detonation places. Um, and the police are saying that they included uh, a mysterious white powder. Yeah. So um, it, first off, incredibly alarming uh, and um, <clears throat> um and something that we have seen throughout history in terms of mail bombs and letter bombs, alleged uh, and or actual, and, and, and these certainly look like uh, uh, credibly dangerous devices, at least potentially. Um, but but the, the rhetoric of the president and some of the rallying cries or the dog whistles of, um, uh, of, of, the, of the far right, of the Republican Party and of, of of Trump supporters nationwide are are a feature of this here, uh, Cayenne. Um, I'm wary of drawing a direct 
causal relationship or at least saying, oh, well, that's what happens when the president says this, that, and the other thing. Because, quite frankly, that is on the slippery slope of, of free speech. However, when you're in a position like the president where your very words can motivate action uh, by anyone and potentially, in this case, dangerous action, there's certainly a level of responsibility that you have to be aware of, right? Yes, in short. Um, I do agree. Freedom of speech, we all have it. It's one of the things that makes our you know, country so great compared to so many others. Uh, that being said, free speech comes with responsibility, particularly if you are a person of leadership or in the public. And I don't think it's so much like his words it's the rhetoric and that he is he really has not just directed towards the people who received these suspicious packages but he has incited some hate along the way and i think he has angered and and riled up people who were already angry and in some ways filled with you know and and has perhaps um made people feel like they had more of a past to do things in the past that they haven't. That would be the argument that could be made. Yeah. Uh, that being said, if I think a crazy person wants to send bombs, are they going to send bombs no matter what? Most likely. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree that that America is feels like a much more hostile and, and uh, unkind and, and maybe even hateful, hateful country, uh, at least those features of... Uh, 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 of our of of our population have emerged during the Trump presidency. I I agree with that, and I think it's incredibly unfortunate and disappointing. But I don't know that there's been. I don't think that there's been. There hasn't been anything that the president has ever said that's even close to, "Hey, we ought to get violent. We ought to attack these." symbolic enemies of the state, meaning the press. We got to attack. Uh, he actually did at some rallies with some journalists and the attacking uh, back when he was running for president. Yeah. Um, but that's not the same as sending bombs to people. Yeah. No, and or suspicious packages. I'm not trying to nitpick. I guess what I am trying to do is is, is just to be, say, be really careful when you start talking about, including for the president, Hey, you got to be careful what you say, you know, I, you know. Um, but I think the president should be careful what he says. Absolutely. He has the loudest microphone on the biggest platform in the world. Yeah. He should be careful what he says. What he says matters. It's not just him. It's every president. It does. I guess I You don't... seek to inspire or drag down. And when you are a person of that much power, you have that much leadership, you absolutely should be careful what you say. I've always interpreted that, at least in this case or with him, is that what he says and the rhetoric he uses in the global community, he needs to be much more cautious because you can undo decades worth of diplomacy. You could start a conflict. You could start a war, right? He's, we've been to the brink of these things. We're like, oh, no, what is North Korea going to do now, right? Mm -hmm. So... I get that, um, but... Uh, but you don't think he should have to exercise that same restraint 
I, not on a global scale? I, I, th- I think he's crossed all kinds of lines. I don't think he's crossed a line into inciting violence. I just don't think, I don't think that he's crossed the line into, into purposely inciting violence or even, even saying anything that ought to incite violence, you know? Like, I, I don't know. I, but I think he has incited anger. And he has sort of riled people up who were dormantly angry yeah. before. Um, I, I agree with and that. anger uh, manifests itself in a lot of different ways depending on who you are and how your brain functions and you know sort of what your goals and, and, and problems are in life. Um, who knows when yeah. we get to the bottom of this, who will be standing as, as the person responsible. But well, like, like so many other things, let, let's close this up by, by sort of circling back to the communication or the communications of this and how he reacts. Looks like so far he's actually made the correct steps as we sit here today and, 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 and um, denouncing this, calling it appalling, saying that these people we brought to justice or this person we brought to justice all, all, all makes sense. Yes, he said we need to come together. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I think that that's important because he doesn't always act that way. No, he, he often says you darn, you know, you you darn right, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton ought to be investigated. You know, this and that, whatever it might be. Yes, I believe he told Russia to hack her emails. Yeah, yeah explicitly. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so I, 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 I think he's he, he, it's it's a delicate situation for him now that, that literally um, the safety of uh, of individuals are at stake. And you and you can definitely link his behavior to that. I'm just cautious of going the next step and saying it's a causal relationship. Um, but I think most people or many people will say that's exactly what happened. The president says it's okay to attack these people. Finally, some kook sends letter bombs. There you go. And the Twitter hashtags seems to think so. It's the MAGA bomber? It's the MAGA bomber. Yeah. Mm. All right. Cayenne, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Another good week. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Enjoy your trunk or treating. Yes. Yeah. All right. Sounds <laughs> good. All right. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. 321 Go is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of the Government Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masera. That's all for 321 Go. Up next, Congressman McGovern joins Tom for a special edition of Two Minutes with Tom. So we're in a midterm election period of time, and it's very important as, as, as Democrats. Uh, what are your thoughts about it, Jim, and what, 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 do you, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I'm hopeful. Uh, I believe that uh, we have a really good shot at taking back the House, uh, not just because of Donald Trump's unpopularity, but because we have some really incredible candidates. I mean, we have, you know, veterans. We have, you know, diplomats. We have accomplished businessmen and women. We have people who want to run for all the right reasons. Um, I, I, don't, I don't ever recall a time when the ca- quality of the candidates that we have put up are, are as good as, as, as this current group. And so I think we're in, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a real shot at this. Now, redistricting works against us, the Republicans. You know, uh, through the redistricting process, uh, created districts that are very difficult for Democrats. But notwithstanding that fact, we're competitive in places we, where we shouldn't be. Uh, and so I'm keeping my fingers crossed because I think it's important uh, that we take back at least one of the chambers. 
so that there can be a check on this president. So what does that mean? Supposing for a moment we, we win and we have a pretty good plurality in the U.S. House of, of Representatives, what does that mean going forward for the next term? Uh, well, it means we could do proper oversight. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, there's things that are happening that, quite frankly, Congress should be paying attention to. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, there's an incredible amount of, of what appears to be corruption in the White House. Uh, the president's making a lot of money off of uh, his office. I mean, we ought to make sure that he's in compliance with the laws of the Constitution. Uh, the Ways and Means Committee has the authority to be able to demand his tax returns. Um, and, um, and, you know, so in addition to oversight, um, we can also um, begin to start moving legislation that we think is good for the country. You know, uh, you know not to, a couple of months ago, we had hundreds of thousands of young people descend on Washington uh, demanding that the Congress do something about gun violence. And the reason why Congress hasn't done anything on gun violence is because the current leadership won't even allow us to have a debate or a vote on anything, whether it's background checks or a ban on bump stocks or a ban on assault weapons, you know, if we can take control of the House, we can actually schedule debates and votes on those issues, uh, you know, on how we strengthen the Affordable Care Act, on, on you know, on, even on how we begin to have more transparency in, in our campaign finance laws. There's just so much we can do. And, uh, and I understand that we have a Republican Senate, but as, as much as I want a Democratic Senate, this Republican Senate, um, you know, has demonstrated a few times that you can actually do business with them. Um, I'm on the Agriculture Committee, uh, and the Senate passed a farm bill, uh, you know, with 86 senators voting for it. You can't even get 86 senators to agree on what to have for lunch, but they voted for this farm bill. Uh, by contrast, the House had a farm bill that was, uh, you know, voted um, passed strictly on party line. So I think if we had a House that was reasonable, we might find some reasonable people in the Senate. We could actually move things. And then, you know, hopefully we can get the president to sign some of this stuff. But, uh, you know, we need, to, we need to be debating issues that are important to people. And, um, and I think if, we could, if we're lucky enough to take control of the House, uh, the types of things we talk about will be very different than what we see right now. You talk about the fact that you're on the Agricultural Committee. You know, I, I remember not so very long ago that you uh, – you went out and, and did something I, I thought was very dramatic and very poignant. I mean, you lived the life of somebody on the street yeah. by living on their budget. And uh, I, I want to know, Jim, uh, what happens to you after after January 1st, 2019? You, you, you probably leave that committee because you're on, right. the, on the all-important rules committee, and you'll be the chairman yeah. of that committee. Yeah, if we win the House back, I, I will most likely be the chairman of the rules committee. Where will you take that? T- take, take us to the direction the rules committee will will kind of vaunt and, and point itself. So I want to take it back to the days, uh, you know, when your father was the Speaker of the House, uh, where the Rules Committee um, was not the place where democracy goes to die, but it was more accommodating. You know, when I, I worked for Joe Moakley, as you know, for many years, and he was the chairman of the committee. And I remember when he became chairman, somebody said to him, oh, now you can settle all your scores, right? You can, you know, <laughs> deny this to this guy, deny this to that guy. And Moakley's response was, you know, some people's definition of power is the ability to say no. Mine is, my definition is the ability to say yes. And I think we need to re- return some professionalism and some integrity to the House of Representatives, and that means we need to be more open. This current Congress that we're in right now is the most closed Congress in our entire history. Most of the bills that have come to the floor have come under a completely closed process, closed rules. You can't amend them. You have to take them or leave them. We've never, ever had anything quite so stark in terms of 
a closed process as we ha- have in this Congress. And I think that closed process results in lousy legislation. It increases tensions and polarization within the within the House of Representatives. It, it adds to resentments. Uh, it's very difficult to, you know, for civility uh, when you're constantly being shut out. I want to change that. Um, you know, I, I want to make in order, obviously, things that I think are important. But, you know, I want to help. I want to make an order even things I disagree with. I, I believe in a fair fight. And, um, you know, uh, we all rep- all members of, of, of Congress represent the same number of people in the House of Representatives. Um, you know, we all got elected. We all ought to have an opportunity to be able to present our case. And if I don't like what you're proposing, then I'll vote against it. But, um, you know, the role of the Rules Committee shouldn't be to just shut off debate. Well, one of the hot issues, I think, has been that during the Trump administration these past two years and the, the solidifying of the Trump of the Trump dogma, dogma, if you will, in the Congress has really forced, a, you know, a, a, a democracy to be one-dimensional, right. which is not what it's intended to be at all and what this campaign has been all about. Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes joke that, uh, you know, the, we, that the House of Representatives is no longer the People's House. It's like the Russia House. I mean, the way we are legislating is, is is like you would see in countries like Russia, I mean, where there's just no deliberation. And, um, you know, and it's, you know, the decisions are being made, you know, from above, and you just got to take it. And I just think it's bad for democracy. I mean, the House of Representatives is supposed to be a deliberative body. So it shouldn't be a radical idea to deliberate. I mean, why, why is that such a bad idea? And, you know, um, and I think what's happened is that the reason why they have closed things up and run it in such an authoritarian way is they're afraid if there's a fair fight, they'll lose. You know, I mean, on immigration, I mean, most people in this country believe we should help those young uh, immigrants, the dreamers, um, you know, be able to regularize their status. If we brought the DREAM Act to the floor, which would do that, if we were able to have that debate and vote on the floor, it would pass overwhelmingly. Every Democrat would vote for it and a big chunk of Republicans would. But there's a small group of Republicans that are beholden to the most extreme elements on the right wing that don't want it. Um, And so they know they can't beat it fair and square. So they use the rules to basically prevent it from even coming up. So most members of the Republican Party, both in the House as well as in the Senate, put their finger up in the air to find out which way the wind is blowing as far as Trump's concern is, because they don't want to move off his dime. They don't want to move off his radar for fear of losing their own seat. Now, if the Democrats come back and win in the the numbers that we think they're going to win, at least in the the U.S. House, what do you think that does to to the debate on the Republican side? Does it soften them up? Does it harden them? What does it do? Well, I mean, I think if they lose, part of the reason they're going to lose is because of this president. Um, he's saying this is a referendum on him. Um, if it, uh, and I, I, saw, I saw last night that he's saying, well, I'll take credit if we, if they win, uh, but it's not my fault if they lose. Well, it, it, if we if they lose, he's part of the reason why uh, why the Republicans are are losing the House, notwithstanding the fact that they rigged the redistricting process. Um, you know, so I think. Look, um, I, 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 my hope is that uh, if Democrats win, there'll be some moderate Republicans who will say, hey, look, you know. Um, if I keep on sticking with him on I'm every single lose. thing, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm going nowhere. I'm gonna get nothing done, and I'm gonna probably, you know, lose my seat in in a general election. Um, and um, you know, what, 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 where Trump has some power over Republicans is he challenges them in primaries. So he's, you know, but I, I, I think if the election turns out the way I hope it does, I think it's a signal that people want something a little bit different. Um, you know, he's exhausting, and I think people are. 
like sick and tired of just waking up, waking up every day to the latest, you know, uh, Twitter rant and uh, you know the latest scandal, the latest controversy. Um, you know, he's so lowered our politics, and every time I think I can't get lower, he goes lower. I mean, when it comes to you know, uh, you know, being decent. I, I mean, he he doesn't know the, what the meaning of the word. I mean, he's like a bottomless pit in insults and 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 offenses. And and it's just and I, and I and I'm I worry that it's it's been going on for so long now. We're getting used to it that we're not shocked as much anymore. I'm wondering about the shock value on the street and and the people and the feeling that people have about it. For example, the the Khashoggi disappearance at the at the at the uh, Saudi embassy in Turkey, um, and, and, and just calling it almost false. I'm talking about the Trump administration just kind of looking the other way and playing to the hand of the, of the Saudi royal family on this. Uh, do the people on the street feel it, Jim? I do. I think people are really disturbed by that because here's an American journalist, works for the Washington Post, an American resident, um, who goes into the Saudi consulate in Turkey basically to get his papers to prove that he was divorced, so he can get remarried again. They, we see him on camera walking in, and that's the last we see of him. Um, and then we, and, and then in the aftermath, we have the president basically saying, "We're not going to do anything because we want to sell more arms to the to the Saudis. We want the money." Um, and um, and you know, and and then you see the president publicly trying to help give an excuse to the Saudi king and prince as to like maybe it was rogue elements that did it. Well, you know, and you know, maybe it was an interrogation uh, gone awry. Well, you know, um, who brings a, a a bone saw into an interrogation? I mean, uh, and and the fact that you know, if, if this guy was murdered in the uh, in the in the consulate, I mean, it's hard to me. To, it's hard for anybody to even contemplate that it could happen without the knowledge of some higher ups and some very powerful people in the in the Saudi royal family. And then, then they covered it up, um, you know. And 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 when 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 the president gets up and basically says, "Well, it's not that big of a deal. That's that happened over there," it, it's like we're retreating from any uh, commitment to human rights. I mean, and we and, and he's embracing a foreign policy that is not only not only amoral but it's immoral. I mean, I, the United States is not perfect, but you know, if we if we stand for anything, it's for human rights. And I think that's right. I also think that. Maybe people on the street get it. Maybe they don't. I think in, intuitively they get it without being able to explain away yeah, exactly no, what they. Nobody wants their tax dollars going to you know support uh, a government that murders its people and murders journalists. You know, I've known you a long time, and and uh, I think that was the first thing, the first the first I knew of you was your activity with Joe Mokley as a chief of staff going down to Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Nicaragua, and. And, and going against the Reagan administration for their support of the Contras and uh, bringing that message home with, with then-Congressman Joe Mokley, uh, powerful. Uh, and well, Joe, Joe Mokley was a lot like your dad in the sense that your dad, you know, learned the realities of the atrocities in Central America through the Marino sisters and through regular people because uh, that's what mattered most. It wasn't the diplomats and the, you know, the, you know and, and, the, and the political types in the White House. And Mokley learned about the realities in El Salvador through uh, refugees who had fled the war and who had come to the Boston area and, and actually talked to him. And uh, we worked together to investigate the murder of six Jesuit priests, uh, their housekeeper and her daughter, back in 1989. And, uh, you know, a lot of people said to Mokley, like, no one cares about that, right? Well, you know, Joe Mokley represented South Boston, which was 
pretty conservative back then. Well, you know what? People on the street did care about it. They didn't want their tax dollars going to support a military that killed priests and nuns and, and archbishops and union activists. Uh, you know, I think I, I, I believe in the goodness of the American people. I think people, you know, are, gen- are genuinely committed to, you know, to good causes. Um, and when our government goes astray and embraces tin horn dictators or, or you know, or, or supports militaries that are brutal, I, I think I think people really are offended by that. They, they they want their they want our our aid to go to help people, not hurt people. Yeah, at the core, I agree with you. I think that's where the American people are. Whether they fundamentally and thoroughly understand the issue at hand, they know they are decent, and that decency proves out. And, and that that's really what wins out. Hey, in my mind, you're the successor to the legacy of both Joe Mokley and, and my dad. And it's a, a pleasure to call you a friend and a congressman. Well, I, I, those are two of my heroes, and uh, and I appreciate your leadership on a lot of issues that I care deeply about uh, as well. Uh, but uh, look, uh, you know, Joe Mokley and Tip O'Neill were good people. They were decent people. They got into politics for the right reason. They wanted to help people. It wasn't about they wanted to be president or they wanted to, you know, make a lot of money or they wanted to. It was they, they genuinely, genuinely saw politics as a way to lift people up and to help people. And I, I feel the same way. And uh, I want our politics to be good and clean and decent. And I tell people all the time that uh, on this November 6th, on this election, with all the issues that we've been talking about, one issue, uh, you know, stands out uh, as as being on the ballot on election day, and that is decency. Jim, the last question. Um, it, it probably is is not a good thing to be looking at, at leadership from the perspective of the voter because they've looked at, at leadership in a lot of cases around the country, and they really haven't cared about about leadership seniority or what the next Congress brings with it. What they want to do is they want to kind of clean out the old and bring in the new. I, I want. I, I think the role that you're going to have as chair of the rules committee is really very important. It um, it means so much not only to the people of your district but to the people of the state and frankly the country. And 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 do you see that washing away at all? Do you see people kind of changing their mind and understanding that the role you're going to take and the role others are going to take in the state in leadership in Congress uh, are going to mean a great deal for them? Yeah, I think I think people are beginning to look. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening in Washington, so people feel very strongly. They want, you know, instant change. They want, uh, you know, they want to react, uh, you know, in the in the strongest possible way. Um, but I think as we're getting closer to election day, I mean, people are beginning to also say, okay, well, we want to win, but it, win to do what? And you know, and and how, you know, how are we going to move forward on our agenda? How are we going to get things done? And I think. What I'm noticing is that more and more people are starting to say, hey, you know, here in Massachusetts, I mean, you get Richie Neal be the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, and McGovern might be chairman of the Rules Committee. I mean, we could actually be in a position, um, you know, of power like we've never been in since your dad was the Speaker of the House. I uh, mean, and that's all important. Yeah, yeah. It's all important. Anyway, people here are living the riches of what my dad and others, Joe Mokley, have done before you. We're going to, I hope, have that same opportunity again. I hope so too. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe. And you can do that on whatever your podcast listening platform of choice is. And before we go, a quick reminder. Election Day is coming up on Tuesday, November 4th. Early voting in Massachusetts is already underway, and it runs through Friday, November 2nd. That means that there's no excuse not to find time to get out and vote. Your vote is your voice, and we encourage you to use it. Talk to you next week.